Have you ever wondered what it takes to build a successful business in the Australian property industry? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Business and Property Development, a monthly podcast in which industry leaders share their insights and experience with host Harry Karadimus. Hello and welcome to Business and Property Development. This month, I have the pleasure of sharing with you a fantastic conversation I had with a budding podcaster. Tyrone Chum. If you listen to podcasts about Australian property, the chances are you'll have come across his show, Property Investory. Property Investory is rated the number one property investment podcast in Australia, so it's a real honour to have him on as a guest. In this episode, we cover a lot of ground when it comes to Tyrone's journey in business, investment, property development, and of course, podcasting. Aside from his engaging entrepreneurial stories, He also importantly imparts his wisdom on how he manages to do it all in a day's work. But I don't want to spoil it by telling you any more, so you'll just have to settle in and listen for yourself. So without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Tyrone Shum. Tyrone, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you with me. Thanks so much for inviting me, Harry. Happy to be here. I've actually been really looking forward to this conversation. It's the first time that I've been able to record a budding podcaster. So, (laughs) Thank you for inviting me. It's a real honor to be here. So there's a couple of key themes that I wanted to run through with you today. The first one is building property investory. And the second one is your foray into the property development space. But before we get into those two themes, I wanted to ask you a couple of brief questions so we can paint a picture of you for our audience. Sure. Uh, so if you can tell me where were you born and where did you grow up? Born and bred in Australia, Sydney. My parents originally from Hong Kong and China and migrated here when they were probably in the 1970s around the Whitlam government. So we all growing up here, uh, went to school, local schools all around the area. I grew up in Strathfield area and went to schools around there. And then during high school, went to Summer Hill at Trinity Grammar School. Did a little bit of traveling when I was younger because my parents had some family over in Hong Kong. So we went back to see them pretty regularly. What about post-schooling? What did you end up wanting to get into? I guess after, after school, I went to university as my parents encouraged me to. I didn't really have much of a direction except it was very fortunate that one of my uncles who works for General Electric, he was, he's like a... He's a retired ex-CIO of General Electric now um, in, in Asia. And um, he introduced me to some ideas about IT and technology and stuff like that. It was like literally year 11, probably second year before I finished, he, he came over. And that's where he kind of just starts talking about that. And, but at that point in time, they started seeing technology take on. And he said, look, you know, there's an opportunity here for you to get into the, the computer science or computer engineering space. And he just suggested that's what I look into. I kind of just fell into that and started doing computer science after actually finishing school. I, I went to University of New South Wales. That was my first year there. Yeah. And, and the reason why I'm mentioning that, why it's a crucial point, is because in that particular first year, I had so much fun that I didn't do much work. And obviously not attending shoots and lectures and playing basketball and chasing after girls and stuff like that. It obviously, led me two failing subjects, which meant I had to repeat you know, a lot of my subjects in the first year. I felt devastated, like, because that's the only thing I, I knew. And then I guess I was given an opportunity to be able to have a chat to some of my relatives who had been through university. At that end of that year, my auntie approached me and started to kind of open up my eyes and give me a different perspective because I thought, as I said, end of the world, I got no chance of getting into the next course. I got to repeat. It's just delaying my whole future. And luckily, she actually said to me, look, 
this is not the end of the world, it's a learning lesson. Take it as a learning lesson and I want you to read this book. And I think what most people know about this book, it's Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. She gave it to me then and that night when she gave it to me, I, I took her words on pretty seriously and she said, just read through it. So I, I picked up the book and I couldn't put it down. It just opened up my mind to the whole world of possibilities. And, and that's where it kind of started this whole journey of exploring possibly the side of businesses, the possibly side of property investing. This is where it went, okay, I can actually finish off my degree. But at the same time, I could actually jump into and do something on the side, like a side hustle, as we all call it. But this was at uni days and I didn't have much money. So I just try and find whatever I can. Luckily for me, I was a good saver. So I could actually, I had quite a bit of money saved up and I could go out and find opportunities, which is where I started. And, and that's where I went, okay, what can I do next to generate some passive income? Well, Robert Kiyosaki said he had some vending machines. I'd start looking around for vending machines and I start doing, you know, these kind of snack vending machines and set them up in a few places, which could help me get some passive income. So that's what I did. That was the first business I jumped into. That's kind of where I first learned more about running your own business because I know what it's like to work in my father's business because he'd been doing that for 20 years when, as I was growing up. And we talked about business all the time, but it was a different way of looking at it because he didn't show me or I didn't see what it was like to start a business. I didn't realize how hard it was until I actually started my own business. Find clients to actually build supplies, find out where to get some more resources. That's that's what was one of my biggest, biggest learning lessons there. And that's why I never forget that because that was one of my pivotal points in my life. So what exactly happened with the vending machine venture? I, I ran it for probably six months or so just to give it a go. It wasn't as easy as I thought it was. Um, firstly, I, I went for the cheapest ones because I didn't have much money, which was the most manual ones. Put your coin in, spin it, and then the chips pop down or whatever. And it wasn't turning as much because I didn't realize that my locations that I set was, wasn't having enough flow. Like there was not enough employees in that company because I set up in a few factories. I thought I'll be okay. No, people just went on buying them. And I think people also just were lazy. They're just used to pressing a button and then expecting things to come down when you put your coins in. So that kind of gave me some insights into how I should present it. That's one. Two, it gave me another insight how important it is the location. And then thirdly, making sure that there's enough traffic flow that's going to be available. Because if you've got no one buying the stuff, the stuff just sits there and you're not making any money. So it was a really good learning experience. Luckily, I didn't lose any money. I made some money on selling the vending machines again. But then at that same time, I sort of jumped into doing some eBay businesses. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I also got e-commerce selling stuff online like sell crocs or selling just all sorts of electronic kind of stuff and, and that started working well and then also at the same time i jumped into a, a business came directly from my passion i was reaching towards the end of my university days my degree was a three-year degree because i failed that first year i had to repeat it. it took me an extra six more months to do that and during that time that last year because you don't have much time at university, you spend time doing other things, either go out and do part-time work or you go and find extra hobbies and stuff like that. For me, I went out and found an extra hobby, which I got involved in, and that was called dragon boating. And a friend just introduced me and he said, look, come along, you know, sit in the back of the boat, see if it's of interest, because I was looking for something active to do. At that point in time, I started dragon boating. That first few months or so, I got really involved in it because I, I actually discovered something that I was really enjoying. Had a great community, there's a lot of people, great socializing. And people there were just so friendly. So they just asked me to join the club. And I thought, all right, I'll just hop in and, and join. And I just kept going along with the flow. And, and it got to that point where, okay, wow, you know, I'm actually doing pretty well in this. So they asked me to actually start getting involved in competing at a, a higher level. And I said, all right, well, I'll give it a go. And luckily for me, I guess I had at that point really been training in the stamina. We managed to make it into the state's finals, which I was invited to compete at state. And at that point in time, this is where the opportunity came about is that, a lot of people 
at that time were all holding what we call wooden paddles and those wooden paddles were very very heavy and anytime you could actually shave some few seconds off because you've got light equipment better performance you try and get it so there were not many suppliers actually hardly any suppliers locally that were selling dragon boat paddles and the only way you could get really really good top quality paddles which were carbon fiber like they literally were only a quarter of the weight of those wooden paddles is to buy it from the states or canada and i thought well, i might as well just see if i can reach out because i want to want to and I, I was trying to figure out how can i actually get one of these for free without having to you know buy one of these and i thought i'll reach out to the supplier directly because it was not hard to find them negotiated some really good terms and he said look if you can actually help us ship over x amount of paddles i'll throw one in for you for free which includes the shipping as well i'll take one as a sample thank you very much <laughs> and that's exactly what happened yeah. I, I pretty much went around to all the clubs and said, who wants a carbon fiber paddle? That brand in there is very, very popular. And we just ordered a whole bunch of them. Mm. And then that's where the opportunity lays like, wow, you know, I could actually import all of these and I could reach out to multiple different suppliers and start bringing them across. And because no one had done it, there was no exclusive rights for anyone to do it. I signed them all up and got them all started here. So that's how the Dragon Boat business started. And interesting thing enough was that that sport was particularly growing very, very fast. Mm. And there's a lot of new clubs coming on. There's a lot of funding from schools that would actually supply all this. And, and it was like a no-brainer for a lot of these guys because they wanted to compete. They wanted better performance paddles. They had funding from school. You know, it had to be spent somewhere. You may as well throw in Dragon Boating. So yeah, the, the business started. I set up an online business 24-7, allowing these people to come on, order them, and then pretty much just ship them out. So we started ordering a lot of these paddles and I just pretty much used my garage to store them all. Yeah, that was my real success in the first business that I actually took off that really, really worked. And it was a huge learning curve because I guess for me, I had to learn how to set up the website, had to deal with customers, had to handle all the phone calls, manage accounts, everything. I ran that business for many, many years until I decided to sell it. What happened after that? You've got a string of uh, entrepreneurial sort of ventures? Or? Yeah. Well, I, I guess it comes ingrained from me from an early age because dad always said, look, don't work for someone. Obviously, go and get the experience you can, but run your own business. So I took that pretty much to heart and, and started that. But I guess after that, what happened was I started learning more about property. And this is where my property journey really does start. So I was hearing all about a very well-known author called Steve McKnight, you know, zero to 130 properties in three and a half years. I read that one. Yeah, fantastic <laughs> book. And, and Steve to this day, you know, he being my mentor, but also a close friend as well too, he's also kind of helped me along the way in my property journey. But when I first saw that he was actually offering a course, like a training course, back then it was called the Results Program. He was saying to people, you know, come in, I'll, I'll show you what I've done. And I thought, this is perfect opportunity because I really want to learn. I have not much idea of how property works. Yes, I've seen my father purchase them when he was growing up, living them, but that was pretty much to the extent of it. Where I started in that journey was to actually go under the wings of Steve McKnight's group and learn a lot about how to actually purchase property, how to assess them. And I thought, well, if he can do that, let's all learn from him and hopefully we can do the same. So I guess my goal was to generate and buy as many properties as possible to generate passive income. And that's where I started on that journey to try and buy one. Unfortunately, that journey didn't turn out as I expected because I went in too early to jump in and buy something from a regional town. And that's where it tied up all of my capital, unfortunately, because buying that first commercial property with a residential on top, that was all my cash tied up. And it was stuck in a regional town, which I didn't get out until like about five years later. And I realized in hindsight, looking back at it, if I had actually put that same amount in, say, a Sydney property, for example, different story there. I have a similar story, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Love to it, hear it. It hurts. Yeah. I was actually, I bought one in Cessnock and it was, you know, we redeveloped it, but yeah. it was one of those ones where it, it did tie capital up and bought it at a time when Sydney was actually going 
crazy and yeah. this one was just kind of petering off it took ages to sell it and you just kind of realize the difference in the capital growth actually oh, makes huge. it kind of hurts to think about it but at the same time yeah, it was a bit of a lesson but you know. yeah yeah well that was my biggest lesson learned you know if i if i actually could have leveraged and continued to buy more properties like how steve was teaching and buy lots of them then yeah that would have been fine but the challenge was I didn't have enough cash flow, know much about how to actually work with joint venture partners. But I was seeing so much success from all the other students. And I, I always question and wonder why they're why they able to do it. I, unfortunately, I missed the boat because, as I said, I tied everything all up and I was focusing on my business because I still had that dragon boat business yeah, to, to run. And that, that took a lot of my time. At the end of the day, when you're trying to go, okay, how can I generate more income so I can actually purchase more property? You find another business opportunity. And that's exactly what I did. <laughs> <laughs> What came out this time? Because I was involved in property, I started to look into the property market to not just buy, but to actually lease. So I started actually this idea of finding out how I could lease a property, like a four-bedroom house, and then sublease it out to local students around the area. So I'd start doing that, and and that worked out well. I found students who I could actually lease out some and put ads on Gumtree, and local around the Macquarie uh, Shopping Centre, Macquarie Park area, that was popular there. And the rents back then were, were not as exorbitant as it is now, which made it very affordable because what could happen is I could buy, rent out one of these houses and then once I rent them out, I'd sublease them with f- fully furnished um, furniture in there. And, and for me as well, I was sort of in that transition period to sort of move out of home as well. So I thought, why not see if I can find a place, which I did find locally in the area where I rented out a four bedroom house. I took the master bedroom and then all the rest of the tenants leased out to the rest and pretty much I was living rent free. So I thought, wow, <laughs> looking back at those days, I wish I could keep doing that. So. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of impossible now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the rent to buy model or um, sharing accommodation model still work because it is a market that is very, very untapped. And especially with property prices going up so much, to actually buy a place is so expensive, people are still sharing accommodation. I'm still seeing a lot of it around. That is sort of that affordable market that people can get into to be able to get started. And the thing I've noticed about me when I gone through the journey for many many years is i'm great at starting things i've got an inspiration i'm very good at getting into it and excited all but my problem is is actually following it through and, and that's that's the thing i've learned about myself is that i need to surround myself with people who can help me with that side which is why i'm so lucky i've got a great team because i can't imagine with my podcast business with my property development type of business there I could start all those things up, but when I get to a certain point when things are humming really well, I tend to find other things to do. And if I didn't have my team doing all this support stuff and helping with the podcast, editing and so forth, I probably would not continue. That's a very important point. I'd love to explore with you a little further once we start kicking into it. Probably a good time to have a look at property investory. At what point does that come into the fore? You've got businesses, you've got ventures. You want to add a podcast to the mix? Well, this is the thing. I did those businesses for a few years and uh, I ended up selling them because what was happening was we're looking to buy a place for our family. So my wife and I were looking to, to buy our own principal place of residence and I needed funds. So I thought, sell the business. That will be more than enough to cover the deposit. I actually offloaded all those subletting businesses and we're at that point as well to running another business. So I started going to a partnership running another business called in the video marketing space and we did a lot of video production for a lot of clients. That's the reason why I knew about podcasting and all that because you, you go through all these stages and because on the internet, there's so many opportunities. They kept selling things like you can get into blogging, you can get into video marketing, you can get into podcasting and I got sold into all of those and I thought I'll give all of them. I did blogging didn't work for me fair fair amount of work in that one it is yeah so i tried that for a little bit didn't work tried a bit of podcasting which is where i started and i did a lot of great interviews with some really well-known experts in the internet marketing space and podcast did really well and i love that so much because i didn't have to write i could just record have 
natural conversations like this and then you know post it out and it did really well but then i guess i delved into a bit of video marketing and that's when i started a youtube channel with a, a mate of mine and that's when that really took off in a very short space of time within about i think six months back then we generated over like two hundred thousand views and and then in that short space of time it just double and double and double i mean now my channel's got easily millions of views but that's that was just something that i was like wow this is exciting i could learn something from it and teach other people and that's what we did so we started teaching a lot of different businesses on how to leverage videos on youtube to be able to generate you know leads and that was sell point and also our turning point to start this business and that business was partnered up with someone that I, I started with and we started pretty much going on site and just doing video production, filming clients, creating call to action videos, videos that would you know, pop out of people to do, take some action, product review videos. And that started you know, doing really well. The challenge that I faced was, and we had, had full-time staff, I should say, about five full-time staff working for us, was the amount of time that you had to spend on site. Literally your whole day was just spent basically producing the video, like recording and all mm. that. And it takes time to set up to get really good quality Hence the reason why I know what it's like to, to be in video production. We went, we're trying to get out of that day-to-day grind because you end up putting yourself into another job and that's what we didn't want at the end of the day. And we decided, look, let's see if we can try and explore the path to sell courses, video marketing courses, and start a membership site and see if we can actually get you know, a lot of members on to be able to pay us a monthly revenue. And that's the key thing is that we, weren't, we wanted to try and generate some kind of recurring passive income from a course-based business like that and sell and teach people how to do it. We did start it, got a little bit of traction, but life gets in the way because at that point I had my first son, business was very, very busy, all new experience for me and we just had to make a decision. So I couldn't keep it up because it was taking too much of my time. I was exhausted working, exhausted looking after a newborn. So we ended up just saying, okay, look, let's just part ways because we just couldn't get that traction. And in the end, I went back to work full time in the workforce for a large building company. And that's where I was able to take those same skills and apply in their business. And obviously that business tripled their, their revenue substantially because of all the marketing Off that we did. Off the back of the marketing. Yeah. Okay. So. Just out of curiosity. So where does your experience in marketing, how did you learn how to get into that? Or was it just something that a bit more innate clicked with it or... Luckily for me, my business partner also had a little bit of skill set inside the marketing side of things because he had taken numerous courses on that. So we both were able to learn from each other. Like I was very good with the technical side of things and I could help set up all the equipment, get the best footage, create those great content and I could work with teams because I was... I had a very strong knowledge with working with overseas-based teams so we could get videos done very, very reasonably priced. And he was very good at actually setting up the scripts, the marketing side of things. And that's where I learned a lot from him. Combine those two strings together, we created the video marketing company. So it's a bit of a spin from it. Like we could have gone in and just created video productions, but it wouldn't always drive a result. Whereas when we had results, people wanted to use those services. And that's the reason why I was so successful. And so the off the back of that, does the podcasting no well that's the interesting thing i actually worked in the workforce for about five years or so this was in construction yeah in the the, oh actually manufacturing manufacturing space so i jumped into a very large manufacturer that produces bricks all across australia yeah hence the reason why i know a lot of your architects when you mentioned them because i used to work for them and they used to always come and select bricks from us and all that kind of stuff brick works yeah. Ah, nice. Yeah, very good. <laughs> yeah, so it was a very, very good company I worked for. And yep. yeah, I was there. And, and the re- main reason was because the stability. Because when you have a child, running a business is always up and down. You're always chasing after clients mm-hmm. to pay their bills, even though we've delivered and done all our jobs. Sometimes they delay paying, sometimes 30 days or whatnot. And you get large chunks of cash and then other days, weeks you don't. 
yeah, so we just said, look, we can't afford to have that kind of stress on our plate and, and hence the reason why I went back and having that stability for many years actually helped to my two children. I'm like, why did I have to have a second job? <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it was, it was great. Uh, honestly, I think that kind of gave me a bit of freedom to not think about and it wasn't so stressed because then yeah. I could spend time and focus on my family, which is what happened over the last five years. By about the third year of working at that company, I, I kind of got a bit of an itch to um, yeah, jump into do something else and, and that's where I kind of thought I was actually catching up with some of my uh, close friends actually who was um, previously at the same company I did the videos for. So this yep. was going back a few years ago before I um, went back into yeah, the workforce and I, I was helping them, their large corporate multinational create amazing converting, high converting videos for their products. Um, at that point in time, you know, we just stayed in contact as friends and stuff like that. And interesting thing enough, I think it was after about a couple of years or so, kind of lost contact. I saw him in the in the major magazine, like one of the Australian property magazines. And it was his title said Man on Mission. And at that point, when I had parted ways from the video business, I knew he had about three properties because he told us that that's what he was doing and he was doing renovating. And then after you know, a couple of years, he had like 12. And I, wow, what did you do? <laughs> so that kind of sparked my interest. I reached out to him and had a good chat with him and found out what he was up to. And that's kind of where it all started and all because of him, it got me excited to get back into property because I had known about all these different things and I wanted to learn more. And my biggest weakness was even though I had a lot of knowledge on how property works, understanding about even the construction and materials and all that, I still didn't understand how property investment worked. So I, I myself wanted to reach out to experts and find out and being you know, time poor and I didn't have much money to be able to invest into going to these courses and stuff like that, I thought, why not start a podcast? And the sole reason behind it was not only just to be able to think, okay, how can I actually tap into these experts' knowledge and, and selfishly, I guess I want to learn as well. I could pick their brains and ask questions. But at the same time, I thought, how could I turn this into a potential business? Because I didn't really have much of an idea. I could actually build up a great community and, and that's the, the key thing I learned from previous experience of marketing. If you build a strong community, they'll follow you and trust you mm. and then from there, you can monitor monetize it which is what i i did and initially there was no idea of actually how i'd monetize it i just thought all right chuck a few spots in there with ads and then just leave that there just in case in the future i get ads but at the same time just build a fantastic podcast which was going to be different exciting interesting motivational and also inspire people to take action in property and that's always been my motto and vision and goal for the podcast and and since that day when i started that i went all right well let's just see where it takes me Three years down the track, that's when I was able to start monetizing it and you know start to actually generate quite a bit of income from it. I guess you you made a start, but there was always the intention that at some point down the track you could turn it into a business in inverted commerce. Yeah, yeah exactly. I didn't know how though. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just had to do something because I think the the part of me that was itching was going okay. I was listening to all these great podcasts, and the thing that I really liked about them was they had a lot of how to, but the bis biggest missing component was the why. Why did all of these successful property investors jump in and, and do these? They didn't really tell the story. Okay. They go onto this podcast and share, yeah, we've got X amount of properties, we're generating X amount of income, and we did X, Y, and Z. Great, yeah, that makes sense. But, yeah, but why did you? So that was missing. And then I thought, all right, I've got to do something different. And learning from all those marketing lessons, if you offer something that's different into the market, filling a need, then you know, usually we'll be able to meet the market and generate something from it. And, and that's exactly what I did. So for, for people that aren't quite familiar with the podcast, your focus is on property investment, but the stories behind how the people started and built their, built their portfolio? It's spot on. That's yeah. exactly right. So 
If you take a look at some of the really good podcasts, one of the ones I really love following is How I Built This by Guy Ross. It's on the NPR podcast network, Freakonomics. They've got fantastic podcasts. And the way that they do it, it's not just an interview based on the guests that they invite on. They actually take some time to edit it and, and actually insert narrations to tell a story. And if people have heard the Serial podcast, which is an extremely popular podcast back a few years ago, that was actually a very, very well articulated podcast that require a lot of editing a lot of story researching and a lot of background work to produce like a 20-minute podcast like that spent literally a month producing it because there's so much that goes into it in behind the scenes same thing for us we we, we interviewed the guests but after interviewing this we spent a bit of time to actually clean up the script so it actually tells a really good story and if you can tell a really good story with a really good narration behind it with great music great uplifting uh, motivational um, I guess inspirational stuff that's inside there people want to continue to listen to it hence the reason why that's that's what I wanted to achieve and inspire to do which is where I modeled off all these successful podcasts inside of that and yes it was not easy I can tell you that because no one had done it in our space so I thought I'll take the challenge up to come up with that model took many years to be able to fine-tune and you know get to where it is now I was gonna say you can look back at it in hindsight and go you know these are all fantastic ideas but they had to start from somewhere and did you know that that's what should have been done at the beginning or do you kind of develop that <laughs> as, you, as you sort of pick up bits and pieces? I, I learned to use resources. Ultimately, I was still working full time. I just didn't have the capacity to do it myself. I started trying and I thought I gave up because it's too hard to do it myself. And I've got no, I guess, experience in terms of creative writing. I'm not the best writer, as you've realized. Couldn't do blogging, etc. So I learned from what I was doing at um, the different, I guess, companies that I was uh, involved in helping and to hire actual staff. When I say hire staff, like you can hire interns to actually help you do that. And there's plenty of uni, uh, university students that are willing to actually come and help you for gaining the experience without pay. And I thought this is perfect because, well, I don't really have that much money to be able to afford to pay someone, especially when this podcast starting out. Why not hire a, a journalism intern that's from a well-known university and get them to try and help me write the scripts? And in return, they get to practice get referral and also fantastic recommendation from me and you know be able to get pursue the career and and luckily for me I, I was able to help this intern which was my first one that started with to many multiple interns. like we've got multiple interns and I've run this program for like five years now and pretty much 99% of the interns usually get a full-time job because the intern experience that they gain from us helps them you know pursue the career so it was a win-win situation and at that first point in time because she was wanting, she was eager and she was hungry and she wanted to help me develop the business, um, she came up with a fantastic script. So she was the first one who actually created that, that amazing. Because I gave her the concept and I, need, I said to her, can you please help me put it in this way, etc. And she just wrote it all up and turned out fantastic. So, so you were able to delegate that. Yeah, so you, you realized that narration was a key way of keeping people engaged in the, in the story that, that was being told. But you're also able to pass that on to somebody else to say, look, this is how I need it done. And then all you do is... Fill in the blanks, I guess. Yeah, fill yeah. in the blanks pretty much. So nowadays, all my team does all the editing, creates the scripting all behind it. And, and I rely very heavily on them. They do everything. Whatever people hear at the end of the day is because of my team. I just go and just do the interview, do the narrations, and that's my part done. It has taken a long time to process and develop that. But I think if I didn't go through those stages, it wouldn't be where it is today. So out of curiosity then, did you have a vision of it of the podcast getting to a certain point in time? Or were you just focused on just getting people on, getting a bit of traction. At what point did you understand that you had a popular 
podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's uh, yeah. you know the number it's the number one. Right? Yeah, I'm, yeah. So. Well, the first milestone for me was to say, okay, how can I impact and get, say, a million downloads? That was the big, big first milestone. And we accomplished that within, I think, the first year of, of launching. And I thought, all right, if I can hit a million downloads on iTunes, I'll be happy. That would be a great way to be able to go out to sponsors, go out and start you know, monetizing the podcast and potentially use it as a platform to be able to say, look, you know, we've done this. Would you like to come on board and do other things with us and form partnerships and so forth? So for me, that was the first milestone i mean we, we've hit that already many many times over now but the thing is is if you didn't if i didn't set that goal i don't think i would have reached it and and i think ultimately for me was firstly have that vision okay hit a million downloads to be able to get traction and then work backwards on how i achieve that and and for me to be able to achieve that was really hard work to be able to connect with a lot of great guests to actually build momentum by actually sharing it out as much as possible I mean, when I first started for the first few months or so, I was constantly looking at stats. <laughs> it was like obsession over trying to increase the stats as much as possible, thinking of different ways to be able to market it, think of different ways to get on different podcasts and share it and so forth. And you, you do that for, for many, many months until you start to get a lot of traction. And then once you start seeing that, then you go, okay, what's the next step? But ultimately, I think that's where you, when you first start out, you've got to actually keep an eye on what's going on and then focus on that big picture. And that, that's kind of where I, I realized, okay, great. So once we reached that goal, you know, that was the first milestone. The next step, I guess, was to see how we can actually utilize all this fantastic community and engage with them as much as possible. And then bring them from the podcast into the website to start engaging with us, get into a mailing list so we can actually contact them and, and provide information for them, find out what they want. If you can find out what your listeners or the market wants, you can supply them with a product or service that would meet their needs. And so was that product or service more content for what they were interested in as in guests that you were looking at collaborating with or was it other business business ventures that could potentially be intertwined with it i guess what happened was because i had so many guests coming onto the podcast a lot of them had fantastic programs from property development property investments courses and then the ones that i took myself just so that i could you know recommend were very very good and those were the ones i was able to recommend to provide some form of affiliate income for that it was just a small part of it because i thought i'll see how we can go with that I didn't really focus too much on that. I think where it happened the most was the sponsorship type of income that came in because through that sponsorship, we were able to get big brands on board like Domain, for example, Stockland Mall. Yeah, we've had quite a number of great brands come on board like big banks and stuff like that. And that kind of brought up our presence because when you get associated with these kind of sponsors who actually sponsor your podcast, people go, wow, this is fantastic that they're actually quite well known. So that elevated our presence, which allows us to be able to do other things. And then that's where I went, okay, Maybe the next step, because I was so into, into property development, because I, I started learning more about it through all these guests, I wanted to jump into that. And, and that's where I kind of ventured into that space, seeking for some help, reaching out to different coaches, joining different programs so I could actually learn about them. And then through that, that's where, you know, this property development space, you know, tapped in. So property investor is almost like an indirect way of opening doors. Yeah. It was. The people you got on there. Yeah, yeah. You don't know who would come on. You yeah. don't know what kind of opportunities come. Like all these guests that reach out to you that you would love to have on. And because they've, they've had other people who have referred them over, it just makes it so great to be able to have them on. I'm so humble for their timing because a lot of them, I, I reached out to them at the beginning and they, they declined. 
but as soon as you know you start getting a lot of traction then they start reaching back out to you yeah, again right. yeah i'd be interested now so yes. i guess they want to know you know if you've got um to, to make their time worthwhile to come on that was actually a, a question that i wanted to ask you so the first thing is a million downloads i mean that to me seems it's stratospheric <laughs> so <laughs> was it an uncomfortable goal to set yourself because that's, that seems phenomenal to me but the second thing is and like you said it, there's a bit of it seems like there's a bit of a positive feedback loop in that you, you kind of feel like you're banging your head up against the brick wall at the start trying to get maybe some big names on the on the podcast to one be able to understand and, and leverage off their experience yes. get a good conversation out of it but then once you achieve some success you see them sort of coming back again so my question is what kind of mindset did you have to have at the start to aim for those kinds of people and then to actually begin to get them on the show i will say one word it's perseverance a no doesn't always mean a no you just don't give up because i think you just got to prove yourself and if they see that you're persistent they'll come on but what i think started this was it was from entrepreneur on fire which is a very well-known podcast um in the states interviewing a lot of successful business owners and this is a very very short like you know 20 minute i think interview and it's just short and sharp and they did it daily and, and that's actually the podcast we start off with we we're doing daily daily podcasts i know it was it's insane looking yeah, back I'll... at it i'm going how did i do that but we did it you know we did it for about six months and then when we started getting that traction i started cutting it back and then i found out that the audience was happy to have like you know two days a week actually it was three days a week we cut it down to and then now we've gone down to two days a week and it's more than enough because uh, there's a lot of episodes in the can at the moment so i, I look back at it and i go wow how did i do that it took a lot of planning and preparation like it doesn't happen like i remember on that first month which was back in may 2017 i actually had spent probably a good five months leading up to that i'd spent a lot of time actually doing all the interviews prepping everything and, and planning ahead and i had to make sure i had at least a month's worth of content ahead of schedule otherwise it gets to say the second month i got nothing there i'll be in a lot of trouble and people will lose momentum particularly in podcasting and, and even video on, on youtube which, which is what we learned it's about consistency People will only want to keep coming back if you're consistent. And if you can deliver ongoing, same time, same content, same place <laughs> consistently, people will just keep coming back to listen to more. And, and every single listener that I've, that's reached out and every single investor I've worked with, they all say to me, you know, it's love what you continue to do. You know, even to this day after five years, when I speak to them, they say, you know, I heard your podcast just the other day in another episode. Fantastic. It's, still listening. Yeah, yeah still listening. Yeah. So I'm like, wow. It just goes to show how... That loyalty you build up over years, it comes back to you in multitude. I didn't expect it to, to work like that. I just thought, all right, I'll stick with what the guys at Entrepreneur on Fire said. Just be consistent, be persistent, and just make sure you deliver everything that you say. And, and that's what I did. I just followed that motto. And that's where I got started because I don't know if I would have done it without that inspiration. There were times, I can definitely tell you, that was hard. I was like, oh, man, I'm not getting much traction. Some some months you look at it and the numbers are just plateau. Nothing happened. I think, why? If you just keep doing consistently, it builds it up. Just on that point of consistency, that how do you maintain focus and energy? Because, I mean, we're talking about five years of consistent content uh, i had a look at your at the release dates and it's it's week in week out month in month out year in year out how on earth are you do you maintain that focus and energy to not to not burn out the thing is is if you commit to something you'll slot it in and do it so in my calendar if you see my calendar i've always got one 
at least an hour a week minimum to work on the podcast. That's always blocked out. And sometimes it's like, oh man, I've got so many other things I've got to do. You know, do I have to do another podcast? But I know that my commitment is to my community and to my listeners. And if I miss those, I feel really, really bad. And you know, I want to make sure I deliver on that. But in terms of actually consistency and, and doing it, we are ahead of schedule. We make sure we are because I make sure that we don't fall back and you know get to week by week. That's the key thing is that just be ahead of your schedule. And if you're ahead, you know, if you miss out one week for whatever reason, you know, family emergency or whatever, just catch it up the next week. And that, that's what I've you know, been able to do at this point in time. This is the end of the first part of the episode. And I hope you've enjoyed listening to Tyrone's business journey so far. Coming up in the final part of the episode, we delve into how Tyrone's podcast, Property Investory, pivoted and became a platform for launching his development funding business. See you soon.